Hey everyone, it's Tim here again, and you're listening to episode 18 of the Black Swan Podcast. If it's your first time listening, thanks for tuning in, and feel free to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, We have a growing collection of episodes featuring conversations with BSP artists and educators, as well as some other special stuff thrown in here and there. Uh, Speaking of special stuff, we just started another sound solution project here at Black Swan. As part of this uh, ongoing sound solution project, we are also releasing two new percussion pack bundles. These are collections of common accessory products sold at a discount and geared towards high school students or college and professional performers. Obviously, the practice and rehearsal landscape has changed over the last several months due to the pandemic. So whether you're building an inventory for your home studio or collecting personal instruments for in-person rehearsals and performances, we're just trying to help you out. Uh, Details for each bundle are on our website and linked in the show notes. Before I get to our interview, we have some other exciting news. This is our first officially sponsored podcast episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Pete's Percussion Podcast. I love alliteration, by the way. Pete Zambito is a percussionist and educator, currently working as an assistant teaching professor and assistant director of athletic bands at the University of Missouri, but he also hosts his own podcast. So join Pete for weekly extended conversations with a wide range of artists, educators, professionals, students, and many others involved in the large and diverse world of percussion. You can discover and subscribe to Pete's Percussion Podcast on Apple Podcasts, and like the Pete's Percussion Podcast page on Facebook. So just scrolling through uh, Pete's episode list, I see conversations with amazing educators and musicians like David Eiler, uh, Josh Jones, Steve Hempel, Elizabeth De La Mater, uh, there's Sean Tilburg, and many more. So it's definitely worth exploring. Uh, besides Apple Podcasts, you can find all episodes and show notes on Pete's website at www.petezambito.com. That's P-E-T-E-Z-A-M-B-I-T-O.com, where there's a link on the homepage. Uh, we'll also throw a direct link into our show notes as well. So my conversation with Gloria Yehalevsky is about to start. We talk about her experience with self-quarantine her interdisciplinary collaborations with musicians and artists, her educational concepts and philosophy, as well as her perspective on building a career as a young female percussionist. So be prepared. This is a longer conversation, but we had a ton of fun covering all this ground. Side note, I'm not 100% sure if we talked about it, but Gloria's commission by Sam Johnson is coming out as a single on streaming platforms in September. Uh, This is a prepared vibraphone solo with electronics titled It Comes in Waves, so keep an ear out for that. (laughs) So how are you, Gloria? (laughs) I know, I know, it's always a little awkward because we, there's always a little bit of banter and conversation before we are already, before we start recording. Well, we're recording and then the pressure's on and then it's like, what do I, oh my gosh, what do we do now? (laughs) So everything's going Um, out, everything's going all right otherwise? Yeah, things are not bad. I'm uh, moving, and I'm uh, reading the Marie Kondo book. Have you okay. Heard of it? The life-changing uh, magic of tidying up. Yeah. And I am donating bags of things and boxes of things, and it's awesome. It's so great. Like, I just I went through all my books yesterday, and I have one bin of books left, which is still kind of a lot. It's really heavy. I can't lift it, but that's yeah. about half of what I had before. So. 
So that's the the concept that if it doesn't bring you joy, you get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Is that the idea? So, yeah. so is there is there and much? It's, it's more organized and right. you know, there's more to it than that. Like the, the book reads really well too. It's really it oh, okay. flows. It's really easy. Yeah. When I first started it, I was just like, I went through the first third in one night, like in a couple hours. Right. And then you got so rid of the book. It's uh, <laughs> not yet. But she talks oh, okay. about that because I just did. I just did the book chapter. And so oh, now okay. I, I just, before this, like 30 minutes ago, I laid out a bunch of books in the, like just on the street on a blanket and I'm like free books, like take them. So I'll oh, see what yeah. happens after this. No. Uh, a lot of them I haven't even touched. They're like brand new. And, right. you know, cause you do that, you buy books and you don't read them. Right. Uh, I, well, it's interesting that we did like three or four free tables during like our self quarantine and the, our right. girls, I have two girls and they were. They were all about it. They were finding stuff in the house, like just to give, cool. a, just to give away, like, like, oh yeah, this will be great. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, um, yeah, I was pretty proud of them because they were. They, there was only a couple things where they were like really attached to them, and they would kind of get out because they'd set up a table, and then they'd get back out there and be like, ah, maybe I want to keep this, like, so they'd bring right. it back inside. But, but part of the fun was then, like, we have a Facebook community group and. Um, like for our neighborhood and people would post their free tables and post pictures and stuff. So then our mm-hmm. girls would just hop on their bike and ride around to all these different locations and, and basically just pick up free stuff and then come home and then find stuff in their house and put it out. So yeah, it was pretty that. cool. Yeah. And my wife did watch, I think Marie Kondo had a, a show on Netflix maybe. Yes, yeah. So does. my wife, I watched my, like one episode. It's, oh, okay. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. My, so my wife was, was watching that too and so yeah it's interesting i mean definitely in preparation for a move you gotta you gotta get get rid of some stuff right yeah i wish i had done it sooner right um, because now i kind of like i'm enjoying my space more and everything's tidier and cleaner well it's getting there i mean there's still you know there's piles of books everywhere but it feels like it's coming together and so i'm like i wish i had you know months of living this way yeah but it's still i i appreciate it even for three days like it's still worth it yeah so how's how's quarantine or kind of the COVID situation been going for you? It's okay. Um, <laughs> what happened? So I just I moved to Chicago in September, and then this quarantine happened right. about six months after I'd moved here, and I was just you know getting my foot in the door freelance wise. So my um, my situation was I have a part time teaching job, which is a El Sistema inspired program. I can talk about that. Yeah, in a sure. Sec. It's really cool. Um, and so that's about half 60% of my income and then the rest was from freelancing and gigs and so as soon as those went away uh that yeah that made it quite difficult I wasn't really eligible for unemployment it's this is a tricky it's a really tricky situation because I wasn't eligible for unemployment so I because I was still working like part-time hours and when COVID started I did pick up a little bit of like freelance recording not nowhere near as much as it was gigging Um, yeah but it was something. And so I couldn't, you know, I told them like, well, here's my income. Cause you have to be honest with that stuff. Yeah. So I was like, okay, you're not eligible, but I am eligible huh. for the, um, the extra, like the, the 600 pandemic. Ben- yeah. But I was living abroad last year and it's based on your taxes <laughs> oh, in 2019. No. Yeah. So I only have three months worth of oh, income. Geez. Yeah. Um, so it's, so I have some of that, but it's very limited. Yeah. It's not the, there's a cap on it. Um, basically. But it's good to have now. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's a huge relief. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess 
something's better than nothing, but it's, it's, I know it's been hard on, I mean, obviously the music industry as a whole, but then definitely like people like yourself that rely on gigging and, and teaching. So yeah, I'm sorry yeah. to hear like some of that stuff wasn't totally available to you. Well, it's funny. You're talking to me at a time when I'm like, everything's fine. You know, it's cause I'm excited. I'm moving to the next thing, but it wasn't, right. you know, my headspace was not there. I was really down for a few months and yeah. I didn't really, I didn't really want to make music. I wasn't really interested in it. Mm -hmm. um, I was just interested in other things. I was listening to a lot of podcasts, watching yeah. movies, reading books, um, which, you know, I learned from and it is an experience in itself, but it, there was a lot of guilt in that and wasting time and it, not being productive. But at sure. the same time, it's like, how am I supposed to be productive? And I think everyone should ask themselves this question. It's like, if you're not enjoying it, if you're just, you know, staying there playing scales because you have to, right. then, you know, where is this going? Yeah. Why are, like, why are you doing this? What is it leading towards? Is there a goal in mind? Is it, is it going to lead to some ultimate, like, yeah. relief and happiness? And it's okay to go through, like, difficult, you know, couple of weeks to prepare for something. And, but otherwise, you know, just doing that blindly, I'm, I certainly don't have that personality type, so I wasn't there. Well, I wouldn't. I certainly certainly wouldn't feel guilty about like taking time for yourself too. I mean, I know, I mean, you've, well, I, this is part of what I wanted to touch on, you know, later, like, I mean, you've been all over the world and you've been hustling like for a long time. And then even in Chicago, like hit the ground running. So I think if there's a, yeah. Um, if there's kind of a s silver lining to, to the pandemic and shutdown, I mean, it's definitely maybe, taking some time for yourself and kind of reflecting a little bit or just being like, you know what, I'm going to listen to some podcasts today or I'm going to, you know, do something different. And, you know, in my case, it was, you know, I was getting work done here and there. We were totally shut down for like six weeks, but I was mm -hmm. still doing some social media, talking to, to dealers that were still operating or doing marketing and stuff like that. And, um, but I was, doing shrinky dinks with my daughters and work, you know, doing modeling clay. What and, are shrinky dinks? Oh, uh, well, that's where you, you get like this special kind of plastic paper and you draw a big picture on it and then you put it in the oven and it shrinks down to like a small yes, thing. Yes, 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 those are so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah, we would, Lucky. we would spend a good two hours like, like researching what we wanted to draw and then finding it on the computer and then trace, you like trace it and then you color it in and then cut it all out and stuff. So yeah, we were doing stuff like that and, or just driving around, going to a park and, and walking yeah. around. So yeah, I would definitely wouldn't feel guilty about like taking time for yourself and like sort of taking advantage of it, I guess. So, um, I mean, I did see, I on don't in res retrospect, yeah. but at the time I, you know, while doing it, yeah. whilst doing it, I couldn't really let go. I couldn't just relax. Yeah. Um, and that that kind of makes it worse in some ways because the ideal way to spend this pandemic would just be you know if you're watching Netflix twelve hours a day <laughs> then then love it you know then yeah. just be like this is so great like I've you know I've been working so hard for so long and I get to do this for you know right. two three weeks what however like but I wasn't you know I wasn't happy about it at all and then yeah. I would go try and find something to do and I wasn't really into some whatever else I was doing yeah so it became very. Um, like you're meandering around without a purpose. Yeah. Everything became very purposeless. Um, so did you find any other kind of creative ways to, to like have an outlet or, or 
or be productive, I guess. Like once you kind of got over a, a funk, sure. maybe a funk, an initial funk. Um, cause yeah. I mean, I noticed, I mean, I don't know, maybe there might be a couple other things, but you like put together, a uh, like a virtual conference, I think for some, for universities. Um, is that, is that I don't accurate? Know if that's, I don't know if that's accurate. I did. I just did a couple, like you're the guest artist. I did some presentations. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so it was like at the individual university. Sure. Sure. I did some kind of lectures. I didn't perform live. I did, um recordings existing oh, okay. recordings i yeah. would love to perform live but i live in an apartment so it's not <laughs> and that you know, could do some just to <laughs> right. grab all the gear and yeah. have it all ready to go um but, so yeah that was what i did I, I it was like a virtual tour and i did four oh, okay. schools yeah yeah i mean is that something you you would consider doing in the future like kind of keeping Absolutely. that yeah yeah so well, i prefer the in person but i'd like to it was nice doing it a few times because I had an idea and I, you know, I was brainstorming. I had an outline like written on paper, I had an outline right. on my computer and I was going like the first one was a little messy and kind of intuitive. And I was talking about how I even got to the subject before talking about the subject. And then by the fourth time, I was really confident, really happy about, sure. like, okay, now we're focused. We're, we're asking the right questions. We're having the right conversations. We're doing something. We did like a group um, kind of improvisatory piece that right. we all kind of decided on a theme together and came up with the concept. I was leading it, but it was very interactive. And yeah. so by the last time I was like, now I'm ready. Like now I'm right. ready to do this, you know, 10 more times. Um, Cause you need to do that. You need to practice like expecting, you know, to come in the first time you've ever performed something or presented something and expecting that to be perfect is naive. I think. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. There's definitely, <laughs> there's definitely a learning curve because like for the last several years I've done, uh, maybe a couple tours a year where I, I go out to universities, mainly um, some high schools um, and do what I call like petting zoos. So I bring a ton yeah. of gear, ton of gear with me and then do, you know, ideally like an hour and a half to two hour presentation, you know, slideshow, stuff like that. And the first time I'd go out and do it like, oh, yeah, I was like, uh okay here's a snare drum like it's sort of like you know or here have you, have you heard of one of these things? yeah right exactly <laughs> have you seen one so yeah it, it definitely took right. uh kind of the first you know three or four times sort of the first tour to find a, to find a voice i think and and be able to talk i mean i think i could talk intelligently like i'm sure just you you can about your experiences and your your you know concept and you can talk intelligently but but be able to kind of um share that with people and keep a conversation moving or kind of keep things moving. Uh, it took, it took me a couple of times to get through it. So, um, right. I mean, do you kind of see that as like, I mean, I already kind of touched on maybe doing it in the future. Do you, do you kind of see that as, um, uh, a direction that, that music, musical arts might have to go like, and yeah. kind of sustain that? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I don't know if I'm the best person to ask, I have opinions on it. Okay, who I, should I ask then? In the, I, I guess <laughs> the difference between me and somebody else is that I'm not inside the systems. I'm not like attached to an institution that yeah, has sure. a lot, you know, has a lot of moving bits and parts that are kind of, I don't know, uh, influencing the industry, Yeah. you know, in significant ways. Like I'm just kind of outside of it and I have like little, you know, dip my toes and fingers into all these different places. Yeah. Um, but with that said... My thought is that, first of all, this is going to go on for another year. 
Like even even when we get the vaccine, we're not going to have herd immunity because not everyone's going to take it because the vaccines right. are 70 to 80 percent effective if we're lucky. You know, 60 is good enough, but we're trying to get better ones. So if we sure. have a 70 to 80 percent effective vaccine, we need two thirds of the population to be immune, to have herd immunity. Only 50 percent mm-hmm. of the people take it. We're nowhere close right. to that. So we're, we're in this for a while. And. I think it took me a long time to accept that. I don't know if you know Peter Ferry. He's a soloist in the Chicago area. He and I had this no. conversation, and he's a great percussionist, great performer. And he, we kind of went through this, like, just talked through this process of, okay, first, you're like, oh, my gosh, either the sucks or free vacation. Those are two sides <laughs> of the same coin. It's, right. it, they're both the same thing. It's just how you react to it. Um, and then you go into, okay, what can I do right now that's temporary? Because just seeing this is a temporary thing. And so that was whatever the online collaborations are, or just like the presentations. I just saw that as like a quick, like, I'm going to do something just to keep myself busy. Um, and then the next is the realization of I have to adapt my life to this because sure. it's even when we have, if when we have herd immunity, it's still going to be a situation of we've gotten used to spending a lot more time online we've become more dependent on these right programs on the apps all of them so now i'm starting to see it's like an ideal season it's hard to say i don't know what i don't know what orchestras do i'll just say what i'm gonna do right i like i can see myself like i'd like to plan a season where three or four of the concerts are live streamed so like 50 to two-thirds 50 yeah. percent to two-thirds would be live stream and that maybe there is an audience maybe there isn't but it would be you know accessible right. online um, and I, maybe one of the like if there's a season has six or seven concerts maybe one of those would be an exclusive online event so sure. it would be a lot more involvement in the internet <laughs> yeah no i i mean i think like i totally agree i mean even though even though we may be making some tri- strides towards a vaccine and sooner than later which is scary too <laughs> it's like getting it right you know um right um yeah we're not it's not things aren't going anywhere i mean already talking to educators you know band um you know uh, here in the state like festivals are already, you know marching band festivals are already shutting down boa um shutting down stuff like that so i think yeah the uh, landscape is totally changing when whether it lasts for a year or two years or even kind of more more permanently you know in in some way shape or form you know i think having to adapt like you're talking about is essential like you have to you have to make some some changes um and yeah i mean i'm trying to think through the same thing like offering this the the petting zoo or kind of the uh the uh show and tell i guess like making that available so i can't get out yeah. and travel but How are you thinking of doing that? um i did a couple kind of similarly to you um i put together like a 15 to 20 minute uh, video kind of presentation and included um you know some of our product videos talking about history of the company stuff like that and i i did right. share it with like um, um some percussion seminars over the summer and then kind of have reached out to our educators like if this is something you want for the fall obviously we can't i can't travel right now and mm-hmm. um i mean even if it, you know I, financially I can't, I can't like we can't really afford to right now that's one limitation we have like um yeah. i just can't afford to go on the road so here's an op- you know try to provide a virtual opportunity for to 
to um, have something pre-recorded, but also work it into like like a Zoom call or something live, so we can um, you know talk uh, with students and talk with educators, but then be able to play some stuff and see things up close, but but not in person, obviously. So yeah, I mean it's something yeah. we're we're as a manufacturer even having a conversation about like how do we market differently how do we how do we reach people differently so i just find it really interesting to kind of get your perspective on that like how you're how you're having to adapt to sure so i appreciate it i haven't gotten there yet um because i haven't necessarily established a lot um i have i haven't planned past the new year yeah. So right now I have, I have a project. That's, that's with, actually pretty far. <laughs> it's hard to plan a couple of weeks in advance. <laughs> right. I think it's hard. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I mean, yeah, just yeah. in larger perspective, like sure. bigger projects. But I, I mean, I have this project in England that we started planning before I left. Yeah. You know, it's a big 45 minute interdisciplinary work with animation. It's an animator I collaborated with before. Oh, great. Uh, jazz bassist um, James Elston he's writing the music and he's exceptional like his compositions are so great Um, and so it's it's this fusion kind of so we have jazz bass jazz guitar and two percussionists myself and Lindsay Eastham who I did I was on the world percussion group with and she's wonderful one of my favorite people to work with forever and we um, the animator was commissioned by an art museum to have the piece premiere there so we were going to do that it was going to be like December 16th or right. so it's going to fly and we're going to have the gig there but now it's a virtual thing so I'm going to fly over there and to record the piece oh. um, oh. so, you, so you're going to fly there little, you're going to yeah, fly there to record crazy, yeah but it's it's worth it and I think that it's actually, in a lot of ways, it's better because we're going to reach a totally different audience. Like, I think, you know, most people in the U.S. have no idea about this interdisciplinary work that I've been doing. Yeah. Because it's not really on YouTube. I mean, there are videos available, but you'd have to search for it. Um, and it's like, you know, I, I don't know what people know about me or whatever. It's like right. they see my Instagram and, you know, I play vibes and rimbo a lot and sometimes other things. Um, but this is quite different. It's, you know, one of my favorite collaborations. It's really immersive it's really powerful so no. i'm looking forward to having that accessible to more people throughout the world if they yeah. want to see it i hope they want to <laughs> no uh, can you talk a little bit like you mentioned interdisciplinary work yeah. um uh i mean can you well first is there a name for this this ensemble this quartet so the quartet is we put together for the project yeah. Um, the project itself, we titled Dreamerfly and Other Stories. It's in So it's 45 minutes. It's in five sections or movements. And oh, okay. Dreamerfly is kind of a word that we made up because it's about this dream that happens. Um, there's a Chinese kind of story or folk, folk kind of story that talks about a woman who had a dream that she was a moth and that she was flying around and she could see everything right. but the way that the story is 
You know, I, I presented that incorrectly because the deal with the story is that the moth also had a dream that the moth okay. was a woman. And you don't know which one. Now that I said it, everyone thinks the woman's the one who had the dream, but we uh-huh. don't know. Um, we don't know which one was dreaming, whether it was real or whether it was all a dream. So we kind of put those words together into dreamer fly. It's like a butterfly in a dream. Sure. Uh, so and what we... There are, yeah, Sorry. no, that's cool. What, so when you mentioned, when you say interdisciplinary, I mean, yeah. obviously in, instrumentalists, um, you mentioned animation. I mean, is that kind of part of it too? When like, like mixing mediums, um, you know, visual m- music, yes. and stuff that's like exactly that. That's exactly what I mean. Interdisciplinary yeah. as in various art forms coming right. together. Um, so in this case, it's animation and music, right. uh, live well, it won't be live because we'll record it, but it's intended. <laughs> it's intended to be live. Right. Um, and in this, the last project we did, we had more because we had, we had the animation and we had like painting and collage that were all kind of integrated into the projection. But this time, I don't believe. I think it's all animated. Um, but the way it's meant to look. So if you go to the performance, you have the four players the four musicians who each are standing in front of a screen that has a projection on it and each of those are individual projections and i think there's a larger i don't know whether she's thinking of like a 360 larger projection or if it's just one larger screen behind us we're gonna have to figure that out with the video right Um, because there's a few layers to this because the art gallery commissioned it and art galleries don't just have live performances of music so they also wanted an installation so that's like a shortened version of the project okay and we're gonna that's something we're recording remotely and we're just gonna mix it together and so that's gonna be like a a, that's a 360 so the animation is you walk into a room and you're surrounded by it and the music will be playing from somewhere i don't know where somebody (laughs) else is doing the sound design (laughs) right right so yeah my next question then is what you know what kind of comes first the does the music drive the visual like i kind of think of uh, like WGI or, or uh, you know, marching band or drum corps where it's like you kind of have the music first and then that drives the visual or, oh, are you okay? Sorry. Did, no, you, fall, did you fall down? Uh, do, you need, do you need help? Was that uh, super loud? No, it was the coaster. Oh, it okay. stuck to the bottom of the cup and it fell. Okay. But uh, I'm listening. No, that's cool. Um, yeah, so what kind of comes first? I mean, uh, I, if when you mentioned that a art gallery sort of commissioned the piece did they have a visual in mind or did they have an artist that they were working with that and then wanted music to accompany that or did they do they reach out to musicians first and kind of build the piece and then come up with a visual or is it in tandem like together so all the art gallery did so all they did is pay you all they did is (laughs) no um we have a relationship with them because our so we, when I say we, that's flexible um, because this animator and I have worked together in the past oh, in a few okay. different capacities. Sure. And so, but every project has been with different people. Um, but the the stable part of it, the stagnant part, was both of us were involved with each of those projects. Um, and so that's Shi Yili. She's a Chinese animator. So the our former piece was a piece that I wrote for double bass and percussion, and that was a mostly through composed kind of duet it's about 13 14 minutes um and that piece was i think we applied or submitted to get it played in an exhibition in that gallery 
and it was, but somebody else played the percussion part because I was gone by then. Um, okay. And then after that, they commissioned Shi'i for another work. And Shi'i and I wanted to, you know, we've always been talking about collaborating together. Like this is a, hopefully this is something that we're going to do for life. And, you know, I'm really excited because every time it just gets better and better. So I'm looking forward to what turns out. So when I say we, I mean this collective and we've called ourselves Sounding Eye, Sounding Eye Collective. And it's kind of a moving collective in terms of, so Shi'i and I both kind of start the projects and we both had the ideas for them for the most part. I mean, everyone is involved with the creative process, but it initiates from some sort of story that we share. And then we'll find collaborators to work with that. So this one, I talked about the butterfly and the moth, but the initial idea had more to do with space and galaxies and the reason Ooh. I asked James. Yeah, it's, cool. there's a lot in it. And there's in, in, in the animation that still reflects the yeah. Um, yeah. elliptical galaxies was the initial concept. Okay. Um, you know, it's amazing how these things start because I'll tell you, here's the story. I was listening to a podcast about elliptical galaxies and I thought they were so cool that th this is almost like silly. I was like, this would be great for a piece of music. And I was walking by James, the composer. I was literally like on the street where he lives. And I called him and I'm like, hey, do you want to do a like, can I come over and <laughs> like, right. talk about a project? And then I'm like, hey, do you want to write an hour long piece about galaxies? <laughs> <laughs> right. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's how this started. And yeah. then the gallery commissioned she and we're like, okay, this is the place that we're going to do this project. So right. we had the idea. Um, you asked about music or animation first. The former one we did, it was it was concept first. It's always concept slash story first. Okay. Um, so the concept for the previous one was, it's called Minister of Loneliness, and it was about depression and culture shock and loneliness. Um, so it was a pretty dark subject matter, and it was like specific small stories within that. Um, and so that initiated music and animation so I, I wrote the music first and then i would send her recordings and she would make the animation okay. this time it's happening a little bit differently it's kind of simultaneous and then they're going back and forth to each other with like specific points like okay here's a moment of impact or here's how long the section needs to be things right. like that um, so and it comes together afterwards but you influence one another because once you you know when the animator hears the style of the music she's going to respond to that and then when the musician sees the style of the animation they're going to be like okay so i need to you're going to respond to that intuitively yeah no it's not a science by any means but um the, the, yeah that was something i had no idea you were even involved in like these types of collaborations that's super interesting like how long how long from so when you approach your friend on the street and like, hey, I mean, not that you just saw well, having it was, a baby. It was in his flat. <laughs> right. Okay. So you you approach your friend like, hey, do you want to, do you want to work on something like this? And then, how long from, uh, start to kind of finish? Like, how long is okay. you sort of set a that timeline? That was last summer. Okay. Um, no, we didn't set a time. It was very much like, hey, here's an idea. Are right. you interested? And yeah. that was when we first got the collaborators, and it was like, look, not everything's figured out. But we need to know that if we can find a way to do this, we would need to find funding right. and go after all of that, um, that we have a project. You know, we have a proposal ready to go. Mm -hmm. We have the right people. Um, so 
And the, the reason we have two percussionists is because we're going to have two vibraphones and the centennial of the vibraphone is coming up. So we're hoping to meld this, you know, have opportunities to play this project yeah. in events that are associated with that as well, because it'll sure. be featuring the instrument a lot. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Um, so kind of to me, sagging into another uh, topic, but I'm also curious in relation to this, like how much are you improvising like so when you get when you get see some of the visual or when you're just coming through ideas like are you just starting to kind of improvise or figure out some themes or uh you know something or even like instrumentation stuff like that because basically i want to start talking about your your activities and improvisation i think uh guided improvisation is maybe something that you work with pretty regularly so can you talk to talk about that yeah, um, so in these projects, Administer Loneliness, maybe 10, 15% was improvised. Okay. Um, there were little, like, there were little transitions between sections where you would just have a block of, like, put, make this kind of character. Like, it would be, like, harsh chords and, you know, kind of, um, what's the word for those? Forgot my music theory. Like dissonant or something? <laughs> what's the, you know, on a piano where you just press all the keys down, oh, there's yeah. a word for that. Um, oh, just kind of you know very dense chords yeah um, sure so we would you know we would do something like that and it would be this idea of falling and it would descend so like a that cluster be, that's a how cluster. it's kind of guided cluster that's the word okay. Okay. Um, so that's how it would be guided so that was that piece this piece uh, jazz bassist is writing it so he is obviously going to write it in terms you know somebody's going to be a company somebody's going to be improvising mm-hmm. but there are moments because this concept of elliptical galaxies the reason we went with that is because those are very very chaotic oh okay sure beings i don't know what <laughs> entities um because the spiral galaxy is the one that has life and gives life elliptical galaxies are a mess they're full of gray matter everything's like you can't have life over there they're really not in good shape but that's right. what makes up most of our universe um which you know strikes the concept of being alive and being a human and how your life is very chaotic and you can't control a lot of things that happen to you so there's a parallel there um in this case there are a lot of like free improv sections but they have to be controlled because the animation you click play and it goes and it's not being improvised because that's you know that's not something that can be done in the moment you can paint in the moment but animating is a very different craft sure um so what we in this project what we're doing is we're making a click track and if we get to if there's two minutes and 13 seconds of free improv then the click goes okay improvise and then five seconds left for something like that oh Um, countdown right something like that so it'll just give you that free window so you're not dealing with a click when you're just you know reacting with each other right that's this project um my journey with improvisation is different. Right. <laughs> it's broader than that. Um, I think. I mean, what what do you? Where do you want to start? Do you want to start from the beginning, or just the concept of why it's important? Um, I guess the the beginning. Like, how did okay. how did you first get interested in in exploring yeah. uh, improvisation and um, yeah. and then kind of building a. a, a I don't know if it's a philosophy or a concept. Yeah. Um, 
So I always played jazz in middle school, high school. I was in the jazz bands on vibes and piano, kind mm-hmm. of back and forth between the two. I couldn't really decide on one. Uh, and so I always had this, I, I just liked groove. and But that wasn't, you know, super, there wasn't a ton of improv. It was just that has the origin in it. Um, and I continued that in undergrad. I was taking some lessons, but the the kind of um, catalyst was I went to Sweden in this winter of 2014, 2015. Right. Um, and that was where I started with Anders Ostrand and Daniel Berg. Right. And those got Anders is the freest musician ever. And, you know, my first lesson with him, I played that marimba piece ultimatum. Okay. And then he was like, okay, now get on the floor and play the entire thing with your mallets <laughs> on the floor. Like, play the rhythm. And then the next thing was like, okay, let's do something else. And then he would just start like comping and he'd be like, okay, we're in C, like go for it. Yeah. Like, just play. And I hadn't really, he hadn't done something that open before, but right. it was amazing. I mean, that was, you know, the most eye-opening lesson. And then Daniel Berg, he comes at improvisation. He was the one who actually this concept of guided improvisation came from like Andres was the one who really inspired the energy tour and sure. Daniel Berg, he's more of a classical guy and he's written some solos, marimba solos. And I think on various instruments, but he's mostly a marimba player that help classical musicians to improvise. So one piece was Fantasia and Toccata. And the first movement of that is you have all these boxes and you can just move through them freely so it's like you're playing the written material but you have a choice of what order you play it in yeah um and he told me you know he wrote this to help classical musicians improvise and i was like you know there's got to be more like this and so that started a couple years of research of just finding these pieces and i keep coming across more and i'm a little bit i should be diligent about updating it but i'm a little like (laughs) i don't know it feels like it's in the past um so that was that inspired me a lot because i I valued improvisation because I saw how it made me feel and I saw how it made other people feel. Sure. And I was like, how do we, but classical musicians are scared to do it. They're uncomfortable with it. And I, I think <laughs> yeah. it's, it's almost essential because if you're going to be a musician, you got to be able to just play. You can't be like, I can't play right now because I don't have my music. Yeah. Like, cause that's not, I mean, of course you're a musician. You're like, your voice is valid and like I you know I'm sure that when you play with your music it's great but you also have to have the freedom to yes a lot of people memorize but you have to have the freedom to know your instrument and play that and even if you don't do it in public you know even if you just do it for yourself like there's something inherently valuable with connecting with your instrument in that way and exploring it and getting to know it as you know person and instrument it's not we have multiple layers of person music hands mallets instrument like that's too much separation yeah it's too many degrees of separation so we need to be able to connect with the instrument um yeah i a couple thoughts that just kind of come to mind like the term guided improvisation sounds sort of at first it sounds like sort of an oxymoron you know like jumbo shrimp or something like guided improvisation like like improvisation should just be free but but then the guided nobody's ever said that but that's cool <laughs> uh like but guided i think totally makes sense in how you've how you've explained it that you almost need parameters you need and especially maybe for a more orchestral per- musician like okay you can take some of these elements that you're already totally familiar with and maybe then reorganize them and experiment with them 
and it does kind of remind me long time ago i was in school gloria i, I went to music school this was tw- this. 20 years ago or so but you know learning about um uh you know 12 tone music or you know the stuff that atonal music and and the yeah, concept of that's being the most prescribed thing exactly and it, even it, in in bach there's tons of improv oh that i won't talk about bach i mean but, in the classical you know in tchaikovsky and shostakovich like there's a lot of interpretation there you don't have two of the same but, shostat it, but in the you know the, the whole idea of like okay you're we're breaking free of like kind of this tradition and trying to do something totally different but yet we have these parameters to like sort of set all this up and so i think it is actually a cool idea it's like okay you, it can almost be overwhelming if you're just like improvise and you're like okay i don't know what to do or where to where to go or what to kind of put this together so it's almost like right. more limiting because you don't you don't have a direction so maybe you know guided guided improvisation to me at first it sounds like strange but like but then i'm like okay that actually makes sense like okay you need maybe a direction to go or you need some elements to start putting putting something together and becomes less like too much freedom becomes limiting i guess in a sense i don't know yeah or or i have no idea what i'm talking about and i just need to go back to selling tambourines (laughs) no 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 no. that makes total sense that makes 100 and i think like as humans we need structure we like to have order yeah because everything goes to entropy naturally yeah so um any sense of order you know feels good it feels satisfying and i think there is a there's a point that you you know there's a little crest that you go over and before that you're a child and you're free and you can just do and you're not afraid to try something sure. and just go for it yep. but then you learn too much about something and you're now you're too good and now you need to have the sense of control and the idea of going back and or just trying something just improvising is scary because it's like wait but i know this thing and this is what works and this is what doesn't work and i need to stick with that because yeah. i know what that is i know what those parameters are i have those parameters they make sense to me um, so the way out of that is by using those parameters to help you be free. And yeah. it certainly helped me. And it wasn't like a clear linear trajectory, but looking back now, I can see it's like, okay, I was doing a lot of these guided improv things and it wasn't easy at first. You had to prepare a lot and you had to really like be in a, set yourself up for success. You know, I, I didn't want to go into, I couldn't just go and read a piece and that just be like, I had to practice all of the, if I'm playing the box piece, you know, where you're going from one box to the other, I had to practice all those transitions and really get to know the boxes. Yeah. And so that was basically like learning any other classical piece, but eventually you just start to let go of that and be comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, another, I mean, point you made earlier about just connection to your instrument um, and what I would kind of what I want to move into is more of that kind of communication, I guess, like using mm. using your instrument as a form of communication, which is what I think you were sort of started starting to touch on. Yeah. Um, I'm so w- glad you asked about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh great! See, I did a little research, Gloria. I look. I, I mean, we've had. A lot, I mean, what I think is cool about these types of conversations is we've met several times before. We've had conversations about your music and your life, but I, I always find something new with like 
people that I that I talk to. So, um, and that's why I like. I mean, yeah, I dig a little bit more. I mean, I kind of go off of conversations that we've had already, but I know, um, like, music as communication is sort of one of your, um, uh, not a maybe a mantra. It's, <laughs> it's your thing. It's, it is, no, <laughs> yeah. it's communication through music. Yeah. Um, and it was, I mean, it didn't matter how music as communication, it doesn't matter how that's articulated. It's not the point. It was just at, there was a stage when I real like I was asking myself, what is music? What is music? What is music? What is music? Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't answer and I had conversations with other people and they had this certain answer that I didn't agree with. And I was like, I was envious of that kind of, um, like confidence or belief in you know this is what music is right. and just having that security because I didn't have that I kept asking myself over and over again and yeah I began to realize I began to realize that words are not the best form of com- communication if you yeah. think about you know how, even how you think we're not thinking in words we often think in words and we recognize that but if you really look at how you think like if, if anybody meditates a lot or if you just pay attention, spend a few moments. It's like you understand things without using the words to describe it. You observe things, you you know accumulate knowledge without having a description on it. So putting something into words is like the tip of the iceberg. Right? Yeah, sure. And so that combined with what made music valuable to me, which it didn't matter as a performer or as an audience member. Honestly, like it's more fun as an audience member because you get to just listen and enjoy. And it was the fact that I always felt something. There was a story being told that was that could not possibly have been told in words, mm-hmm. right? Um, and even if it's oh, some people write music more like absolute music, music for music's sake. That's still a form of communication. You're still communicating a musical message, and it does regardless of how hard you try to make it not about something or not a story. Everyone's going to go to that concert and put themselves into it. Like when, whenever you put a listen to a piece of music you relate yourself to it if that music is about depression then you relate it to whenever you had hard times or whenever you were lonely if yeah. the music is about uh, if it's afro-cuban latin music you want to dance and you put yourself into this groove of feeling light and wanting to dance and wanting to have rum and so it everyone puts themselves well that's what i would put into somebody else might respond to afro-cuban music of i hate this it's really boring <laughs> right. it's repetitive like and that's them putting themselves into yeah. it that's you know all part of the communication yeah that's so actually one point was i was good that's one point yeah. i was going to make is like it, that your experience not your you specifically the listener's experience whether is 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 still a communication it's whether they liked it or whether they didn't it's still an emotion it's still like a reaction to it so yeah. I, I think that's a really good point i mean you listen to afro-cuban music and and want to get up and dance and have a cocktail and you're exactly right somebody might listen to it and be like okay this isn't my jam but they at least they're having a a, a response to it and um and, and a reaction and there's still some form of communication there and right. um yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. Keep going. It's okay. <laughs> um, that's uh, that's the concept, and so it became. Maybe that was what led to the impetus to compose, because I didn't start out as a composer. I think sure. in high school, I sat at the piano one day, and I was just trying things, and I wrote them down, and I hated them, and I didn't compose for like four years, okay. five years. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is this is awful. I don't like it, and then. I think that idea, because I started to have things that I wanted to say that 
I just would rather say musically than in words. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was how that happened. And I think it's a really powerful form of communication. It's a powerful form of relaying information, understanding, and just experiencing life, just, you know, being present. Sure. So um, I think that's I think that's it. No, out, to, that's the philosophy. Yeah. Out of curiosity, when you were kind of first digging into this and talking to people about, you know, what what is music or what their perspective of music is and you were you started to 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 disagree or to not uh, kind of sure. align with those thoughts like what just out of curiosity what were kind of some of those ideas or concepts that you knew you you didn't necessarily prescribe to there there's two one is the dictionary de- definition of organized sounds and silence sure and for me that's it's great but because we have sound it's like it's an element you know it's one of the senses that we experience but right we wouldn't have the sense if there weren't a point to it sure. and organized sounds and silence is a little bit pointless to me yeah. um, as, as a definition, yeah. know, as a marker of like the, the science that happens or the actual like right. physical body that is created. Right. Fine. It's good. Um, the other one was everything. And I, I wasn't satisfied with that music because then, cause you get into all the cage stuff, especially in undergrad. That's when you're learning about how profession is and you can use a cactus and put a microphone to it. Yeah. Or you can just drum yeah. on this table or in your kitchen and etc. or just talking, you know, so people record their voice and they'll use that and they'll manipulate it. And for me, that wasn't enough because I was like, I have kind of different, categories in my head yeah not everything is a part of my music making like certainly during the pandemic you know i don't consider a lot of what i did you know maybe i mean some of the learning i did will enhance my music making and it's it certainly helped me be me and learn a lot about myself but i don't think that i was necessarily making music when i was doing that it's too kind of too broad too generalizing think right. um, but I, I understand the sentiment because yeah. especially when you're starting to discover it and you start to realize how like almost anything can be music then you just start to like then you can't even answer the question because yeah. it's like well anything can be music. <laughs> exactly um so i want to go back in time a little bit um and just talk about um i mean we kind of i mean i touched on it early on like you are relatively young but have traveled a lot and uh, experienced a lot like uh, um and not just in the u.s i mean i know you, you we already mentioned that you you studied in sweden with anders and daniel berg and then um you spent time with the world percussion group uh like a european tour and then obviously mm-hmm. studying in in england like was there a kind of a catalyst for your wanting to Maybe, I mean, maybe it was just wanting to kind of experience and explore the world or um, was it, I mean, a lot of times um, it's just a kind of a series of events, like one thing kind of leads to another or where you're like, I really want to kind of get out there and and see what's going on. Like, is there, can you kind of touch on some of that? Um, I think I didn't have a fear of it because when I was, eight years old my dad got a job in belgium oh okay and he was like we're moving to belgium and i, I cried and I was like, i'm gonna miss my friends <laughs> Man, <And> no I, <laughs> kidding <laughs> um and we went there for five years and you, you know when you live in europe you're 
it's like going to them. Like I occasionally I have some friends in Cincinnati and I drive over to their place like for a weekend once in a while. And so it's like that, but going to, you know, Italy or Switzerland. It's right. like, yeah. Just it's it's what you do. <laughs> um, so that was, you know, that was growing up and that was where I started to do music. Like that was where I started piano lessons. Oh, okay. Started in the band program over there in Belgium. Um, yeah, I did. In California, it was all ballet before, right. until I was eight. So that was from, from three years old. It was like, my, my parents are former USSR. So that's, okay. you know, girls are ballet, gymnastics, or um, <laughs> what's the figure skating. Those right, are the right. options. Yeah. Boys are playing, you know, football, European football, okay. um, or, you know, hockey or something like that. So I was yeah. in ballet from a baby. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, you know, then in fourth grade, I was like, you know what? Ballet isn't cool. I'm going to play the, um, no, that was when I got into hip hop, but then it was kind of like, okay, drums are cool. And okay. that started the whole thing. So yeah, Belgium was a huge, that was what eliminated any sort of fear. And I think, um, studying abroad with Anders, that was actually part of my course. I was really lucky in undergrad. I had a, uh, a scholarship at the uh, Moorhead has this honors program, the George M. Lucky Honors Program, and they okay. pay for they pay for everything, including a trip abroad, um, yeah. and that's required by the program. So you have to study abroad while you're an undergrad, but, um, and it, it doesn't have to be. It's not like a, you have to spend a semester abroad. It's not this prescribed organized okay. experience. It's just an overseas experience. So I think the minimum is two weeks. I mean, they encourage longer than that. But sure. that was why I did it over the winter because I didn't really want to miss school. Oh, so, okay. Because I was just, you know, school was so important. So let's just do more of it over yeah. two months instead of taking a break and then yeah. come back. And <laughs> so, so when you were in yeah. there in Sweden, that was part of your your schooling. Then it w- it was like part, yeah. as part of your degree. Um, yeah, I wasn't but, marked on it. I didn't get any grades for right. it, but it was something that I had to right. do. Yeah, and you know, I was really, I think going over there with Anders was the perfect thing. It was, it was quite a crazy thing too, because I was rather the advantage of organizing something with the school is that you have a place to live and you have somebody who's going to be there with you and you're going to have a place to study. And with this, it was just literally Brian Mason just emailing Anders and being like, Hey, I have the student. Can she come over? And he's like, yeah, cool. And then I didn't know where I was going to live until like, like I had a flight booked and I didn't even know where I was going to live until like the week before. And I was like, yeah, this guy has an extra room in his apartment, so you can go live there. (laughs) Um, No, that's a, I think it's a great, I'm sure it was an awesome experience when my wife was in undergrad. um, She kind of had a similar program. She's a graphic designer. So she was in the art program here and, she was able to travel awesome. to the to the Netherlands for, I think four four or five weeks, and and I love the Netherlands. Um, yeah, I've only been to the uh, to the uh, airport, so I got to see okay. it from above a little bit. And but you got saw, to see <laughs> there's so much water oh, everywhere. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, oh we gosh. we flew into Amsterdam. Eric and I oh. did a year, almost two years ago now. Going to we went to a drum show in England, but so she got okay. to spend, uh, you know, like four or five weeks in Amsterdam working with a, an artist and kind of cataloging, helping catalog some of his works. He did, he would do print make it four or five years. Oh, weeks. Sorry. Weeks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was, he would do large sculptures. So she kind of helped with some installation there. And then she lived, I think with his, 
in a an apartment above his either above the studio that he had or w- above like his son or daughter's studio but she spent a lot of time by herself but then he would invite her over for you know dinner and stuff like that and and but then obviously during the day they were together a lot so i know that yeah. was like a super obviously memorable experience and he's um passed away now the artist but he had ties to west michigan and the university that she went to so he would come cool. over and we would kind of connect and stuff and they kind of maintained a relationship it was really sweet he came to our yeah. wedding you know gave us some oh gave gosh. us some print like signed prints of his that we that we still have and so yeah and just those experiences are, are like lifetime type stuff so i just think it's yeah. cool and then obviously with the world percussion group you were traveling over there and then is that how you kind of got into the um the the royal birmingham conservatory or also no um i met so tim and jason from morocco too i met those guys in undergrad okay um, and they they came to moorhead to do some workshops and clinics and, right uh, i remember uh, we were playing my um my friend john and i were playing uh the the famous blue motion that one and so we each took lessons from you know tim and jason respectively right and it was just a really positive experience like we everyone loved having those guys around they were so fun um and they i remember when they were planning the world percussion group they told us right when it was just an idea that first year that it happened and there were the two tours in europe and then the u.s and i was in the i think it was the second installation of the project and they came and did kind of this virtual like a zoom class um, okay before covid <laughs> right um, <laughs> they were ahead of the curve they, there. you know and they were just th- this was after so they came in person but then when they were trying to promote the world percussion group they went to moorhead and were encouraging and i was i was into it i think before that I, the first time around i kind of knew i wasn't ready but the, yeah, I applied my senior year and was really lucky. Yeah. I don't know if it influenced them that I kind of that they knew me. Right. Um, I'm, you know, it, it may have, and I hope that I didn't take anybody's spot who was deserving. But I'm certainly thankful for yeah. it. Uh, so. Yeah, I'm sure you wouldn't have been involved if you weren't deserving. So, um, and and so Birmingham was a little bit separate. So Birmingham was I just stayed in touch with Tim and Jason because. Those guys are so fun. Like, Jason is, right now, I just, you know, I had a Zoom chat with him a couple of days ago. He's okay. one of the most influential mentors and I've ever, you know, had throughout my school and my career as a musician. And, um, and Tim as well, he's been hugely, hugely influential, both in the World Percussion Group and, uh, yeah. you know, from when I first met him. And it was, I'm trying to remember... We, we just stayed in touch and the, we were at PASIC and they wanted Jimmy John's and they were out, you know, drinking and instigating crazy parties. Like those guys <laughs> right. can go harder than anybody. You know, we were like 19, 20 year olds. And we couldn't keep up with them. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, and so just maintaining that relationship, I, I think it was Tim who was kind of promoting the conservatory and was like, hey, do you want to apply for this? And honestly, it wasn't really. Europe was on my radar. I knew. I was applying for all the American schools, but I had and like I was kind of set in my head that I'm not staying in the U.S. for my master's. Hmm. Um, but it was the plan A was to get a Fulbright to go to Sweden again, oh, okay. and I was on the wait list, so I was like a finalist on the wait list. It was yeah. so close, um, which that's something I'm proud of too. But 
once I had the, you know, got responses from all the schools, I took myself off the waiting list because I had already committed to somebody and I didn't want to like find out in September, oh, hey, you got a Fulbright and then that would have made me feel worse, basically, because I I wouldn't have taken it at that point because I was already going to Birmingham. So it was that. It was kind of instinctual. Like, I knew I wanted to be in Europe. But when I applied to Birmingham, I didn't even really consider it because it was I sent videos. They, to, they took a, a not, not a live audition. You could just oh, okay. you know, send your tapes and stuff. Right. So that was very convenient. And then visiting the place really sold the deal. I mean, there's so many tutors. It's, it's honestly incredible. Like you can do anything you want in Birmingham, like really anything. Yeah. Great. Um, so really kind of one of my final big things I wanted to talk about is, uh, diversity. Um, yeah. and, uh, your, your perspective um, maybe, uh, as a female and, you know, obvious obstacles that you might've had to address and, um, and, you know, biases you might've encountered. I mean, is that something that, that you've had to, to work through in your, in your short, but already kind of active career? Yeah, I think I haven't had any like nobody has ever explicitly discriminated against me and i know people who have had you know explicit struggles and so yeah. i like you know if i say anything that's like this was hard i know that rel everything is relative and it may not necessarily have been as challenging mm -hmm. as i make it out to be but i think even from from the beginning like i you know i started percussion in 5th grade and band and it was it was a boys club like i wasn't part of the group because um, yeah. it was just me and all you know all the boys were friends and I like I so wanted their approval so badly because they were so cool cause, and they were playing the same instrument I was and um I was I piano was my first instrument before that I started lessons before that so the keyboards were like I could sight read anything um, and so I was kind of you know on bells a lot and the guys were on the drums and I, I didn't have as much time on the drums my role wasn't as good etc right. um, etc et and so I was you know I, I wasn't part of that club but that was okay, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, it's okay. Um, fast forward to drum corps and marching band around high school. Right. That's when, you know, you could really see the boys club. Um, so there's definitely that kind of, I don't know. I, I hate yeah. to put it, I don't think it's a percussion thing. I think it's just a kid, you know, 14 to 18 year old thing. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, even in, in drum corps, like even at the Santa Clara Vanguard, the, like, in my opinion, the best drum corps in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. <Yeah. laughs> um, you know, we had, we struggled in the front ensemble. Like there was, the, yeah. the girls were friends and the guys were friends. And sure. you know, th this was up until 21, you're a little bit older. Yeah. Um, I was always like one of one to three of 20. Actually in Birmingham, there was a perfect balance. Like, it wasn't perfect balance. There were more girls than guys, but all of the girls in Birmingham were like total badasses, yeah. and it was super cool. Like, and the you know the person leading the whole uh, my first year, the person leading the the department was was a girl, and she's you know incredible. Like everyone really looked. I look up to her as a musician. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a you know kind of tipping the scales, but 
in in leadership roles i i think it could largely be my personality but i found there was always this like struggle like somebody you know didn't really want to accept and i don't know if it's an inherent bias or if i was just you know the, a type of leader who was difficult to and i can accept that like if you know i was a problem and i'm sure you know when you're young you cross some lines or whatever well, but i found that people didn't really want to have a female leader or that yeah. was my perspective as a female Right. I don't know what the male opinion was. Well, I think, I mean, that experience is probably accurate. And, and uh, the fact that you were, are, you are a female it, and maybe in a position, a leadership position, I think would automatically and unfortunately cause some tension or friction with, with uh, some young, young men, if that was the case or, or, or men. Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah, it's very possible. And I think, I mean, all of those people have matured since. Sure. So it's like, I know it's not a problem yeah. at all anymore. It's right. just probably an age thing. Um, well, I and, think, you know, there's like musicians, there's a lot of ego and people have, to <laughs> yeah. you know, like, oh, yeah. I'm the same. You yeah. know, I'm, I totally have an ego and I'm yeah. working on quieting it. Well, but, I, I mean, that's a whole, maybe a whole nother topic of conversation, but I, I actually talk about ego a lot, even at, at work, like, because, um, even in a, I mean, I wouldn't say we're a total corporate setting, but we're, you know, we're a manufacturing and a company and, and I think ego can kind of play into that sometimes. Like, uh, like, uh, you know, f I kind of started, sorry, Nathan, if you're listening, Nathan is our uh, social media guy and branding and helps me with like marketing stuff. So before we hired him, like I started all of our social media and was in charge of all of our marketing and like kind of this whole full arc. And then we hired Nathan with the explicit purpose of, of, of helping marketing. me out, you know, and, you know, okay. of course he's doing shipping and, and receiving and doing, a, you know, some other stuff, but like par a big part of his role was to help me do that. But I kind of had at first, he may not realize this, but I had trouble letting go because I think because of my ego, you know, it's like, mm. it's like, oh, I can, you know, he's there to help me, but I, I could still do it. You know, I'm still relevant. I can do social, right. you know, I can, but it's like, no, okay, let, you know, keep feeding him, him stuff. And he, I mean, I give him a lot of credit. He would actually ask, well, can I do more? Like, can I do this? Or I have this idea. And so I had to like, be able to, to like, let some of that go and kind of put my ego aside and be like, yes <laughs> you can and here let Divide me and yeah totally and let me help you like okay now my role is to like kind of set help set you up to be successful so we've had a lot of those kind of conversations and and then or Jamel at work and I um having because we are you know we're VPs now in the company and kind of what our role is as a as a leader and 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 kind of where you know me personally where my ego kind of fits into that and being able to like you know, because when I go from, you know, basically Eric's first employee and kind of building uh, dealer programs and building artist programs and marketing and social media, like, you know, I was yeah. doing it by myself, you know, with Eric too. Did for your so wife long. make the logo? Uh, no, actually, Eric's brother did the logo. Okay. So when Eric. That's great. I love it. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. His brother is a graphic designer. And so he that was part of a like a font set that he created the hand. And originally it was much more sort of woodcut looking like harder edges. And so it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of softened over time, but my wife did do a lot of, um, uh, marketing stuff for us, like some 
design like uh, literature and like some logo type you know for different you know events and stuff that we were doing so now i pretty much do it all i just i will ask my wife like i'll i'll do up a bunch of comps and take them to her and be like hey what do you like about this stuff what don't you like or things like that so um yeah okay so that's the ego conversation (laughs) no you know i I know i love this story i love hearing Mm -hmm. the story because when you think about it like for me, as like a sophomore and undergrad, you hear Black Swamp and you think those are the best tambourines mm-hmm. and all their stuff is super nice and clean and they're all branded and it's like this, it feels like a huge, huge, huge deal, right? Like right. everything and like, you know, and then you have Malatech and that's a huge deal and Yamaha is a huge deal, but like you start to realize like how small the industry is and hearing that story mm-hmm. of... Yeah, Eric asked his brother to do a thing. And then, you know, when he could afford it, then he hired you. And it was like this kind of grassroots family thing. And that's really similar to the story of I was walking down the street and I called my friend and came (laughs) over and I'm like, let's start a massive project. Yeah, totally. Um, And that's, you know, I think more people need to realize that this is it. Like, and I need to, like, I'm working on that too. Because at first I was like, I would play down everything I was doing just because of how grassroots it is and how much how DIY it is or how much it depends on mm-hmm. just my friends and knowing people and just like trusting right. each other and be like, can we do a thing? And we don't even know if it's going to work, but let's try it. And, and it's a similar, I mean, obviously you're registered as a business and I don't, I mean, I'm involved with a nonprofit or soon to be, you know, one's a nonprofit, another is soon, like, so I have some kind of, entities that i'm involved in that are registered as something but a lot of what i do is completely you know it's not from a marketing standpoint register and it's something i'm I'm considering soon like to register myself as a company huh Um, yeah cool just in terms of yeah like getting loans or having property that i can register that as a business right Um, and and more from a even from a branding aspect i guess like mm. last year uh, i had a some i had a podcast conversation with matthew lau uh, oh yeah. who you know also that's right because you you have yeah, traveled so we, over the we we forgot to say because this is probably my favorite travel thing was going to thailand and hong kong like that was oh, okay good. unbelievable yeah because like europe was kind of familiar ground and it's musically it's much more similar to the u.s than right. any other part of the world sure that was yeah Matt and Matthew Lau set up a concert in Hong Kong um, so he was I mean he's a wonderful person for doing that really um, that. uh so I know he's a huge uh, Golden Girls fan so uh, anytime I'm I'm out and I I'm probably he's probably sick that and tired of me doing this and 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 regrets telling me but anytime I'm out, I'm out and I see like uh, Golden Girls bobbleheads or a, a Golden Girls t-shirt or something I'll take a picture of it and text it to them <laughs> just like because I, I think it's the funniest thing uh, dude from Hong Kong is like super into the, the Golden Girls so um, well but, he's quite American too he spent like a decade that's in true New York. yeah yeah that's true so he's yeah he's quite Americanized and oh. that's why he's he's awesome in that scene because he's very proactive and very entrepreneurial which yes is, you know, not necessarily part of the. I, mean, I don't know the culture, but it seems to be right. Well, and that I think was going to be kind of my main point. Entrepreneurial. Uh, did I say that right? Entrepreneurial. Yeah. He 
He's very he has a lot of good business sense. If you say it more times, then it'll start to sound wrong. Right. It's I, like saying spoon. Right. Like so, then you start to get weird enough. Yeah, it's, it's just a made up word, but all words are made up. So um, That's that's what I'm saying. That's why we see yeah. this communication. <laughs> good point. Um, but he yeah, he's like totally he has a brand and whether that's totally intentional or not, like I think he's done a really good job of kind of branding himself as a musician and percussionist and then building yeah. building a yeah, scene yeah so um yeah um you know what else just fun fact you know what else he does he'll um like listen to pop music and just rep his you know he's because he plays all this contemporary stuff sure and so he'll just do reps of a lick like while listening to music oh really instead of a metronome huh. it's the craziest thing but i like he when he told me that first, I was like totally freaked out by it, but I also thought it was hilarious. Yeah. I'm like, of course, like that's so, so your right. personality, but I've started to kind of try it and I think it's, it's really effective because it's more fun. Yeah. It's really engaging. So, but actually using the music as a metronome essentially, right. like, right. So it's not just like background music. It's the, mm. no, that's actually yeah. really I mean, it's creative. Cool. Like for a drum set, that's totally, I mean, that's the way you would practice it, but it's for right. something like a mallet lick, you would never think to do that. And it's yeah. really, really cool. Um, yeah, it's super creative. Um, yeah, so kind of. I guess before we officially wrap up, I mean, is there anything else you wanted to to plug or talk about or something we didn't touch? I want to finish the diversity conversation. Yes, thank you. Um, we can go back because there. We, I, yeah, because I, I told kind of my story, but I think that, and that's you know that's one that's my experience, and that's what I'm seeing. Like essentially, this is what boys are doing, and this is how boys are acting. Right. But I think that, you know, we can't just make it one-sided i think that women are at fault in this as well and you know everyone has different beliefs in this like do you know the book lean in by cheryl sandberg uh i've heard of it but i'm not too familiar with it it's a really really good book and she's this side of the spectrum you know there are multiple sides of the spectrum there's the side of white men have ruined everything for us Uh, like you know like let's destroy the patriarchy but there's also the side of well, we need to put ourselves as women need to put ourselves into these positions and kind of insert ourselves. Because if you look like there are tons of statistics about, you know, women in classrooms don't raise their hand as much, don't speak up as much. Um, They're less likely to apply for a job. Like they'll only apply if they're 90% qualified and men will apply if they're 70% qualified. So we do this to ourselves. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a, it's, I don't know if it's personal. I think it's culture. Yeah. I think our personality is influenced by our culture. And so there are certain expectations of us or there are certain ways of acting that make us eventually think a certain way. And I have this too. Like I'm certainly af- afraid to apply for things. I feel like I'm not qualified. I feel like I'm not ready all the time. Sure. Um, massive, massive imposter, imposter syndrome. Right. But so I think it's also our fault because I'm seeing a lot of, you know, men are doing a lot of things. Like they're putting together virtual collaborations. They're putting together courses. They're organizing this. They're creating this. And it's like, you have to realize like, this is the same thing. I guess the Black Swamp story is my um, dreamer fly story. Like these are all just like a person asks somebody, like it becomes a thing. You know, once you have a team, once you start to have a concept, then you can create something out of it. You have a vision, then you can find a way to make that happen. And so it's like, I see it happening a lot. I'm friends with a lot of college professors on Facebook and a lot of people are like, oh man, I've been working so hard and I did this and this. And I hated seeing that at first, but at the same time, it's like, I can sit here and complain about what you're doing, 
And that's great. And like, you know, it's like you're continuing to enhance, you know, um, the rich are getting richer <laughs> in music. That's not really exactly what's happening because nobody's very rich in music. Right. But you know what I mean? But like, yeah. you know, you're kind of enhancing these divides or I can get up and do something about it. And I think that we are guilty of not doing enough. We complain a lot and we don't do enough. Sure. So I think that's something we need to think about. I also think that organizations that are try are interested in diversity, but check a box and then feel comfortable going back to what was familiar. That's, that's a massive problem. Right. It's a huge, huge, huge problem. Um, um, no, I would hundred percent agree with that. It, it, it becomes very performative. And one thing we've, uh, I mean, Jamel and I have have been having these conversations for a couple of years. Um, and, and and it then more obviously more heavily the last couple months just as far as um, diversity and and African Americans and people of color and and how we're um, representing them in within our our company, sure. um, and it can become very performative and 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 we need to focus sort of on the on a longer term. Um, uh, concept, I guess, like, okay, this isn't, we're not just going to put together a t-shirt and put it out there that says black lives matter, or we're not going to just kind of right. do a, do a, 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 a post or two. It's like, okay, how are we really going to engage and make this sustainable and, and longer term and really try to, to make a difference. So that's, I think that's really important. That's something that again, Jamel and Eric and I, and, um, been talking about uh pretty heavily the last couple months but very you know definitely the last yeah. four or five years too so um i think that's a really great point and um as far as you know diversity and perspective do you uh, do you have any advice maybe for younger female percussionists or musicians or females in general that might not even be percussionists i know i'm kind of springing this question on you we i didn't i don't think i kind of preempted you with this but it's okay i didn't prepare for anything <laughs> that's good i guess <laughs> um no i i don't i thought about the questions a bit, but yeah. it's not like i have a stack of notes here i just yeah, sure. i was thinking about it yeah. um i think reading that book cheryl sandberg's book is a really good place to start mm -hmm. that was definitely influential to me um I think just be fearless and it's you know it's much easier said than done I have a massive problem with this like I'm you know I'm afraid of everything and I have to talk about it for several weeks before I start to, and by the time I've talked about it for several weeks I like don't want to do it anymore and then it doesn't happen right. so it's just like you know as soon as you get the ball rolling and get started then right. that's um that's gonna be your power like as soon as you start something that you're gonna be connected to it and um, I don't know. I don't know if I have advice because I also know that, you know, what I've done and so far and the kinds of, um, like opportunities I've created or taken advantage of are a largely a reflection of my personality. Sure. And so I wouldn't have done anything different if I were a man or if I were any gender right. um, or any color you know but i think if i were this is this is where systemic racism is a huge problem i i 
think that if I were born a different color, I wouldn't have had the privilege that I have. Sure. Um, and so I think we need to acknowledge that. I think we need to be aware of that. And yeah, I think being fearless is the simple way of putting it. I have other ideas and branches, but I think, you know, do your own research and find ways to combat that. Yeah. Um, no, I I think it's totally valid. And is that something this kind of piggybacks one thing I do like to ask uh, people is if if you could go back in time and tell your younger self like one or two things would that would that also be it or is there like as far as because it doesn't sound like you were fearless at a young age either so um, is there is there any other advice you might tell your your younger self like don't take the blue pill or take the red pill or whatever that that, that is <laughs> do you ever think that do you ever think that you're living in the matrix I do. Like, <laughs> oh boy like uh, i'll go i'll go to bed some nights yeah. and just be like wait nothing is what i think it is uh, like, everything is prescribed and, um, and i'll freak myself out like um well i opened up another rabbit hole there sorry <laughs> no it's okay that's that's also part of the the imposter syndrome the sure confidence yeah. um I don't think so. I, don't, I mean, what do you what do you tell a kid to? You know, a kid's just supposed to be a kid, live their lives. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's no. what I was doing. I was pretty happy, pretty yeah. happy kid. I mean, we had you know things happen to us, and there were good times and there were difficult times. I... Yeah. No, that's it's fine. A good, maybe it's good. maybe I have to think about it more, but I, I I don't think that we need to put you know this kind of pressure on us, especially right. not as kids. Yeah. No, that actually, I think that's a really uh, a good point. I mean, just when I talk to my wife about our two girls, and I can I can tend to put uh, pressure on them. You know, could you guys p- pick up your room a little bit more? Can you can you put your dishes in the dishwasher? Like, I mean, if those are all valid things, like you know, it, yeah. it builds some some ethic there, cleaning up after yourself. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. there but there's other uh, other things that I'll I can kind of come down on them and my wife will be like you know they're kids and they need to be kids you know like let's let's <laughs> let's yeah. not uh come down too hard on them about stuff but i mean um and then just i, I would, mean just you things know what, I, what i would do is i i hate to say this but i would go back and tell my parents to control less <laughs> oh yeah um, yeah and i mean are, I think, are you telling you know, everyone's me to... families are are you telling me to control us? No. So I'm about to, <laughs> what I'm about to say is like everyone's families are very different. Yeah. Um, so my experience was, you know, my family's former USSR. Like my, my first language is Russian. I couldn't speak okay. English as a three or four year old yeah. um, because my parents couldn't speak English. So it was very, you know, culturally we're very connected to that country. And mm-hmm. um, so there is, like I said, you know, the girls do figure skating, ballet or right. uh gymnastics you know all of those things were part of it and there were a lot of very closed parts of our culture very judgmental parts of our culture i think that's something i developed from an early age like my parents were and i don't mean judgmental it's it's not necessarily like straight up a bad thing we always hear judgmental we think bad no judgmental is just the act of judging right and that can be good or bad so we need to remember that um but that was you know there was a lot of that um kind of environment like a very yeah. judgmental kind of like yeah. i remember now i'm listening to podcasts of celebrities and I, like now i'm like i love taylor swift and i love <laughs> lord and i love Kristen yeah. bell and you know like these people are amazing and i'm you know really really interested in them yeah. but i remember as a kid there was this bias that oh pop stars are dumb actresses are dumb sure and that's kind of what i was taught 
And I wish I weren't taught that, you know, I wish I could just explore and learn for myself. And, yeah. you know, like, I mean, Lindsay Lohan, she was awesome as a kid. And then, you know, there were massive problems later on. And on, I don't blame her for anything, but she's certainly not a role model for, right. you know, so, but you have to learn that for yourself. And so I think that a lot of that judgment came from an early age and now I have it. And so that's you know part of what, now we're having a psychology lesson, but that's <laughs> part of what, you know, right. you know, creates this imposter syndrome because I'm yeah. judging in my head constantly. Yeah. Um, well, and then, I mean, as far as our girls, like, and my wife saying, okay, let, let's let them be kids. It, right. it, it's sometimes big, a little bit bigger. Like, I mean, our 13 year old, she's going to be 13 in like a week, you know, she wants a phone. So this is like, Three years ago, we What's told birthday? Uh, August first, uh, so two thousand seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's six days away <laughs> from her little brother. Oh, that's cool. Um, so is he getting a phone soon then, or no? Uh, I don't know. Oh. I think I think he has one. Okay, but I don't know if it's like a smartphone or yeah. I, like I, I don't know if it's um. Yeah, I think it's more of just a utility. Right. Piece. And, but that, that's been part of my wife and I's conversation. It's like, okay, you know, she needs one. She's going, spending time with friends. Well, yeah. less than less now, but you know, when she, you know, Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. And, and, or doing stuff where, okay, she might, or when she was doing some after school activities and things like that, it's like, okay, she should probably have a phone that she can call us on. But it, it's like, and so I'm like, yeah, we can get her a smartphone. You know, we can do this. And you know, then my wife's like, get well, her a flip phone. Yeah. She's like, well, can it's we, so... <laughs> can we like, can she still be a kid? You know, like I'm like, yeah. yeah. So we're, we, yeah, we're in the process now. We have an older iPhone, like an old generation. And so we're trying to figure that out. And then, but they don't make it easy on you. Like you can't use it's it. It's a different world. Yeah. It's, I mean like generation Y or is she, is she generation Z said? Is that, uh, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Why, but like, so, cause millennials are the ones who were around, who were growing up while this stuff was coming around, but right. the generation Y are the ones who are just like, they're on their phones all the time and they're yeah. completely isolated. Yeah. Like that's kind of the, I, I'm not saying they're all like this, but, yeah. and so that's a big problem because they have access to this technology so early. Like I, right. I, in a lot of ways, technology is a good thing, but I have a lot of Oh, I'll just, I'll leave this on the table. Tristan <laughs> Harris, just look him up yeah. and you'll learn a ton about social media sure. and ethics of technology. Tristan yeah. Harris, I've listened to his podcast. And um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's a big question. You know, cause when I was that age, smartphones were just beginning to, like, it was like Blackberries existed, yeah, right. but only, you know, not everyone had them. And so my first phone was this uh, flip phone that I always forgot the password to and I never used. <laughs> right. And my brother and I would kick it around the house. Oh, okay. So right. it was more functional as a soccer ball <laughs> than as a phone. Funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, our girls, I have a very, like a first generation, uh, I, uh, I can't even remember. It's not an iPod and it's not a phone. It's the... iPod Touch? Uh, yes, yeah, a Touch. Yeah. And so my... Yeah, those it, are so cool. Uh, my girls discovered it and they immediately locked themselves out of it because they figure out, oh, we can change the password. And then my youngest, who's eight, was just kind of like, why are you doing, stop changing the password. She just kept changing it and changing it and changing it and mm -hmm. then ultimately forgot what it was. And I'm like, well, you're done with that now. Like that's going back in the drawer. Right. So, um, uh, yeah, well. Yeah, that's, we went off topic. Yeah, well. Um, yeah, I guess. Uh, the like the final thoughts are where you plug all your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If there's anything. Um, yeah. I mean, I kind of, I, 
we've unpacked a lot. We've touched on a lot of different things, and that's what yeah. honestly that's what yeah, I, I love about that. have uh, these conversations. Again, like I kind of mentioned before, you always kind of learn something new. So, um, but yeah, if there is anything um, you got going Same on, to you, I learned I learned more about you. Yeah, Oops, computer just did something. Okay, it's fine. Uh, um, yeah, I guess I, I should leave it with the. I'm I'm working on. I'm not good at saying this stuff, but I'm working on being. But like, you have to be a better salesman because mm-hmm. everyone's like, "Oh, where should you follow?" I'm like, "I have an Instagram account. It's like, where <laughs> right. like what? What is it?" Yeah. And so I'm afraid to talk about it. And yeah. So I need to get better at this. Um, yeah. So it's Gloria Y Music, Y for Yehalevsky mm-hmm. on everything. No punctuation. I just started a Patreon. Okay. Which I would have loved people to subscribe to sure um and i haven't said it it's it's like this is a nebulous stage but now that i've said it on this podcast now i have to do some more with it <laughs> right. i just have the account you, you've um, said it the, out loud <laughs> right yeah that's a huge so the the idea with that the first goal with that is to buy a marimba so i'm hoping to get um i'm gonna be i'm on tiktok too tiktok okay. is whoa that that's fun <laughs> um i what? Yeah, it's okay. like you're a little bit too old for it, but you kind of love it anyway. Okay. So I'm, I'm starting to learn a little bit about that, and I'm going to start. I've posted a little bit, but I want to get better at it. So, so can you um, explain TikTok to me? Because my girls, they don't know. They're not on it, but they see stuff that is connected okay. to it, and they just call it TikTok. Well, that's TikTok. So I, and I'm right. like, I don't believe you guys. I don't believe what you're talking about. So what is it? It's obviously a social media uh, yeah. app, and it's video. So you're recording video, but is there other like... Yeah, is it's it... it's like Instagram in that you have videos. Well, Instagram is more about photography, so this is only videos. I mean, some people will do like photo collages or okay. something, but it's it has to be moving, and it's it's hard to explain. So all the videos are hor- um, vertical, so that's another thing. Like you have to make your content separate for like Instagram. You have to make it a square. And right, Facebook, right. It should be horizontal. TikTok it needs to be vertical. Um, and it makes like if you put horizontal stuff on there, nobody like. It's, it really is not engaging. Okay. Um, and it's it's kind of fun because it's just, I mean, people who blow up on there are just people at home, like right. playing with their kids or yeah. shooting a basketball. And it's, I like that about it because it's very real. Like it's very like, these are just real people doing these things. Yeah. Um, and there are tons of artists on there, like doing really, really cool artwork or yeah. um, all kinds of creative things. Lots of music, like lots of pop music and dancing. Um, yeah. And, you know, like I said, I was a dancer growing up, so I, I love dancing. Sure. Um, I haven't learned any of the TikTok dances. <laughs> well, that's what... Well, there's that's one what... that's really easy. I could just do it. It's like this and the... It's just like, it's really simple, but well, cause uh, we I were, haven't gotten that far. We were on a little weekend vacation the other last weekend, and or two weekends ago, and there was some girls like at the ice cream place doing a dance and my youngest yeah. is like that's a tiktok dance i was like what how can there be a dance uh but like from tiktok like isn't it just like videos so people just come up with choreography for a song like oh, okay. whatever you know top hit is like you go on spotify pop like top 40 right now it'll be one of the first five of those right and people will just come up with choreography and if it's uh, you know if it catches then other people will start doing it and it becomes yeah. this trend right Cool. So, okay. Yeah, a lot of music is a big part of TikTok, but it's more so pop music. Like you can, I mean, you can go on there and play classical stuff, but that's its own kind of niche. Um, but the main thing is the way the I don't know how the algorithm works, but things just blow up. Like I had a I had a little video of me like bowing a vibraphone with a coin on it. 
And it okay. I mean, in one night, it was like four thousand views. Oh wow! Yeah. Like yeah, and that I mean, and that's small for TikTok because TikTok goes into hundreds of thousands of millions. So because as soon as like people, if somebody is engaged with it in any way, then it, you know they just put it onto people's screens. Put it so you're looking at stranger stuff. Right. Like whereas on um, Instagram, you're looking at your followers, and you have to specifically go to explore. Like on TikTok, right. the standard is this explore kind of thing. Right. So Gloria, why music? Is that for Instagram, TikTok, website, everything, or I mean, we'll all put the all things. Yeah, my website's GloriaWhyMusic.com. <laughs> Right. Um, and we'll put all this in the show notes too, but, um, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks Gloria. This was fun. Thanks Tim. Yeah. yeah this is, I really enjoyed it. Um, I have to go vacuum my carpet and roll it okay. up cause I just sold it. So. <laughs> oh, just now while we were talking, you got the, no, the no, Facebook no, no, messenger. Bit, oh, oh, a little okay. bit before. That's yeah, fine. Well, Facebook marketplace is a, yeah. it's a good, cool place. Yeah. And good luck with your move. I know you're moving back to back to california hopefully only yeah. somewhat semi-temporary but um you, i might keep... stick around but hopefully i won't be living you know in my parents house for <laughs> right 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 <laughs> too long um yeah. but i might stick around the area because there's, yeah. there's a lot going on there cool it's actually it's looking good because I, I have some potential teaching work starting you have stuff see online Man. or what but you're yeah. a go-getter gloria <laughs> you already <laughs> you got it lined up yeah so yeah, all right so well good luck change. thank you This has been a BSP production, recorded and produced out of the Black Swamp Percussion Facilities in Zeeland, Michigan. Audio and production assistance by Jamel Taylor and Nathan Coles. Intro and outro music by Adam Hopper. Music sprinkled throughout the episode was from Gloria's Sounding Eye Collective, her solo performances, and the World Percussion Group. 